Welcome back to the Memoirs of a Nigerian in Christ podcast. Today we will be reading from chapter 6, Friend Zoned. During my previous dysfunctional romantic relationships prior to my husband, the only constant that soothed the heartbreaks were my friends. The friendships that I have formed over the years turned into sisterhood after I fully came to Christ. These sisterhoods meant the world to me. One of the most painful experiences of my adult life in Christ was the loss of a friend who had been one of my closest confidants for about four years prior. We will call her Amanda. Amanda and I grew up together, but we were not close as children. When I started law school, we slowly but surely started building a friendship. Although I was older, we were in similar places in life, both seeking more education and both looking for love. We bonded over our mutual disdain for phony friendships, as well as our enthusiasm and pride in being Nigerian and Yoruba. While passing weeks and months, I felt like this was someone worthy of my trust. So I started divulging more about myself, especially the self I hid away from the public. The self that struggled with feeling like I was enough for the type of man I would love to love and cherish. The self that still battled demons from her past. This friend took my revelations and offered me solace and comfort, reassuring me I was not alone or weird for having these thoughts. We grew extraordinarily close in just a short time. Fast forward to the season when I truly gave my life to Christ and my friend was right there with me, proclaiming her own commitment to a life anchored in the Lord. My heart was full. I imagined a lifelong friendship built on the foundation of Christ. I thought we would marry in the Lord together and raise our kids as women of God for many years to come. Like a thunderstorm on a clear summer day, Amanda made a shocking announcement that changed the course of our friendship forever. She heard, quote, something about me, and although she would not divulge what it was, she was no longer interested in being my friend or having anything to do with me. I was gobsmacked. The betrayal of a friend hit me harder than any romantic breakup. The same woman who had seen me through so many heartbreaks now broke my heart over information that she did not even attempt to verify. I had a hard time letting go of our friendship following her hasty departure out of my world. I was heartbroken after all. I was more convinced than ever that this friend never loved me at all. As I mourned the loss of that friendship, the Lord revealed something to me about the nature of my connection to this friend. Although she was younger than me, a big part of me prided myself on my relationship with Amanda because she was an enigma to so many people. A lot of people were dying to know her, and why not? She was drop-dead gorgeous, fashionable, talented, and a little bit of a mystery. Being considered her friend was a position of honor in my eyes. I was enamored with our friendship. The thought of having her unhappy with me was unsettling and a little bit frightening. After coming to Christ, I recognized those feelings for what they were, idolatry. I idolized this friend and our friendship 
and the Christ I proclaim would not stand for such lesser gods in my life. She had to go. Amanda's hasty exit out of our friendship was a blessing in disguise because only the Lord knows if I would have had the courage to let her go, even at the Lord's instruction. After we went our separate ways, I grew and thrived in Christ while she embraced a life and lifestyle that openly rebelled against the Savior we had both proclaimed just months before. I did not realize that her rejection of me would follow me around and impact my other friendships and relationships with women. For a while, life in Christ was lonely. It seemed I was the only young person who was earnestly seeking Christ. Even among what should be a gathering of other believers, I would often find people who proclaimed the gospel and had a form of godliness but denied its power. The same people who wanted to attend Bible study with me also wanted to go drinking on Friday and Saturdays. I ended up spending a lot of time alone just to avoid temptation. Eventually, I began to find my place among the young adults in my church. As the years went on, we were finally all on the same page and committed to growing in Christ together. The first friend that God gave me in Christ was Daniel Okoku. Daniel was more than a friend. He was my brother. As a matured believer, Daniel gave me the accountability I needed in friendships. When the Lord showed me that I had an issue with any sin, I confessed to Daniel and other young adults who were also matured believers. Daniel and I spent so much time together doing ministry that many expected us to end up as a couple, but our friendship was purely platonic. We were more like siblings than friends in our years together. Having a friend that did not allow me to compromise did a lot to heal my understanding of friendship between men and women. Before Daniel, I did not think it was possible for men and women to be friends without sexual temptation becoming a part of the situation. Daniel was so much of a friend that when he was ready to get married, we prayed together about the young lady he had in mind. And when I eventually began dating my husband, Daniel provided the much-needed accountability we needed as a couple. Around the same time, I renewed my commitment to our local campus ministry, Bethel Campus Fellowship. The ministry had been in operation for five years, but I had never made a significant contribution. My double-mindedness kept me from being able to boldly proclaim Christ on any campus. How crazy would I look trying to invite people to Bible study on campus? while I was just drinking with them in the club on the weekends. A life of godliness, fueled by a truly repentant heart, gave me the boldness to do what I could never have done before. I was eager to share the good news of redemption, which became so real in my own life just a year before. Campus ministry brought me into fellowship with a new group of young believers, and there, new friendships and sisterhoods were formed. There, I met Jessica, who would become one of my best friends, my housemate, and just three years later, a bridesmaid in our wedding. Through Jessica, I met Nazo and Tierra, who have become cherished sisters that have walked me through my journey as a single woman and have been faithful friends as I navigate this new adventure that is marriage. Godliness lived out by daily reliance on the power of Christ gave me another gift, transparency. 
Prior to my encounter with the Lord Jesus, I was one of the most secretive people I knew. Although I enjoyed writing and would often blog about the happenings of my life, when it came to the deep things about me, I kept those matters well hidden. At the point that I came to the Lord, I was harboring many secrets that I had hoped to take to the grave. Once I became a genuine believer in Christ, however, God drastically changed those plans. One of the first things that the Lord taught me was that my past was not a collection of random happenings. I also did not need to hide behind guilt and shame because of my experiences. They happened. Denying my past did not help anyone, especially not the women with whom I hoped to connect. Everything that I had endured was useful to God. God was not interested in causing me pain in order to teach me a lesson, but he was too wise to let my pain be for nothing. He could use the very things that once caused me shame to proclaim freedom to his daughters. This understanding was revolutionized as I grew in my approach to, quote, ministry. For many years, I idolized ministers as perfect people, those who were too close to God to ever fall short or make a mistake. I did not see myself in them. I was too flawed. But I wanted whatever insider information they had about God to rub off on me. When I gained the understanding that my past bondage and present freedom were meant for me to show others the way to victory in Christ Jesus, I began to recognize that ministers are not perfect. It finally occurred to me that God could in fact use me with all of my previously broken pieces to help put others back together. Even the deeply traumatizing episodes of assault and betrayal were useful when surrendered to God. I knew how to serve women who came from a place of deep pain because I was one myself. I knew how to serve teenagers on the cusp of making life-altering decisions because I had been there in my own time. I knew how to serve women who found redemption after being lost for years in the world because God had walked me through my own path. It was my pain, redemption, and healing that qualified me to serve in the way that I desired, not my perfection. With that understanding, I finally began to share my heart. There was no shame attached to a past that was wholly redeemed by God. As I grew in boldness, those who knew my past were understandably shocked. Proclaiming the gospel became my heart's joy. And I did it without hesitation, wherever and whenever the Lord would have me. In short, the zeal for the Lord's house consumed me. As a youth leader, I was fiercely protective of the teenagers under my care. My heart's desire for them was to understand their purpose and their identity in Christ from a young age. My goal was to help them become firmly rooted in their faith and walk with Christ before they went off to college in pursuit of their dreams. In the course of our time together, I often used my own experiences as a cautionary tale of what not to do. I shared a lot with my sisters in Christ both the younger ones and my peers. Two years later, I was planning my wedding to my husband. The women who had been part of our Bible study, youth and young adult ministry, and singles ministry felt like the most natural people in the world to turn to as such a milestone in my life. Around the same time, I was rediscovering my love for writing and began pursuing publication of my first book, 
I was already actively blogging about the things I was learning as a young single woman and a believer in Christ. Writing a book felt like the next big step. And the Holy Spirit gave me the book I wanted to write almost instantaneously. Unbeknown to me, my place in the lives of my sisters in Christ and my passion for writing were racing towards a head-on collision that I could not have anticipated. And one of them would die a violent death before the smoke cleared. As a new believer, I made the grievous error of assuming that everyone in Christ was built like me. Talking about my past was no longer a point of shame. I assumed everyone else had also made peace with the woman I used to be. It never occurred to me that a history that had been redeemed by God was still being used to hold me hostage in the hearts of those who knew me before. So imagine my dismay when telling the truth regarding what the Lord had delivered me from brought me into a fiery collision with fellow believers in my community. As I started drawing inspiration from my story for my first major writing project, I revisited many of the most memorable experiences and wrote about them honestly. Unfortunately for me, the people whose lives and stories mingled with mine were still around. Many were grown, married, and raising their families right in the same place we lived as children. As I tested the waters with my first significant voyage into storytelling, the pushback was immediate and jarring. I would have understood being vilified by the outside world. I did not expect those who did not call on the name of Jesus to understand my motivation for sharing my life in this way. The world was not designed to understand me. I am set apart by design. The heartbreak for me was that the pushback that broke me down was from fellow believers and once cherished friends. The most significant of this negative response came from inside my church. I never considered that such transparency regarding my past would be considered scandalous. Talking about my past dredged up long buried resentment with people I thought were at peace with me. They questioned my motives. What I considered me just telling my own truths was characterized as a smear campaign against anyone whose history overlapped with mine. Telling your truth and being belligerently misunderstood is traumatizing. It has been eight years and I am still processing it. My strength failed me when I heard the accusations against me and I abandoned the long-held dream in my heart of being a published author. The story I wanted to tell was going to cost me too much. From then on, things at church became intolerable. This no longer felt like home. My fear of abandonment sprang to life as cherished friends became increasingly distant, some even openly hostile. The root of offense sprang to life in my heart. My heart ran the gambit between being utterly broken and completely resentful. My church, quote, family could not be trusted. I mourned the loss of those relationships. Relationships I had cultivated over the past 17 years as a member of that church. 
By the time I got married, I was still dealing with the pain of their rejection. I never confronted anyone. I did not trust them with my pain. I had already been rejected once after pouring my heart out. I was not willing to risk it again. Instead, I mourned in private, and the feelings of loss and rejection ruled in relationships that were now defunct. I started avoiding church gatherings that would isolate me in a room of people who no longer wanted to be in fellowship with me. I was scared to open up to anyone who was remotely friendly with my former friends because I did not want the further humiliation of being rejected again. I asked God for healing, but healing did not come for several months. How could I go into marriage with so much turmoil in my personal life? The same people I thought would celebrate my wedding with me no longer wanted anything to do with me. I continued to pray to God for a miracle before our big day. When the day of our wedding finally arrived, I was too full of joy to notice who was genuinely happy for us and who was not. We had an amazing wedding ceremony and celebration, but those of our church family who were still not speaking to me casted a shadow on our marriage that I deeply resented. The root of offense that remained in my heart gained new strength and started to grow branches. The Lord was trying to teach me to let go of my bondage to public opinion, and the Holy Spirit was working overtime on my character to free me from people-pleasing. Yet and still, whenever I would see a group of women from my old church, my guard went up and my attitude soured. I would reject them before they could reject me again. I put the necessary distance between us, hoping that time and space would give me the room I needed to heal from the heartbreak of broken friendship and fractured sisterhood. For months, I prayed and cried in anger and grief, grappling to understood where it all went wrong. I kicked myself for foolishly trying to write a book that told the truth in a community of Nigerians who prided themselves on pretense. I was most angry at myself than anyone for believing I have found my village of sisters when these women demonstrated by their visceral reactions that they never actually liked me. The heartbreak and turmoil of that time still brings me to tears. I hated myself because those in the body of Christ with me told me that I was hateful and I believed them. Even as my heart broke, I prayed that the Lord would help me to forgive and keep me from becoming bitter. For almost a full year, I wrestled with the rejection and the pain of being hated for who I believe God had called me to be, a truth teller who did not give darkness a place to hide in her life without exposing it to the light of the gospel. All I wanted to do was examine the dysfunction of my past, considering my present understanding of the gospel. I wanted to draw the line between the traumas that warped my thinking and the redemption that God was working. People did not grasp how much of a miracle my new life in Christ is if they never saw the depth of my brokenness. If all they knew was the girl who had been in church her whole life, then it was easy for them to conclude that my newfound fever in the Lord was just a matter of maturity and time. But I knew better. I have dear friends who are my age who do not understand the transforming power of the gospel or the reality of hell. They do not live with eternity in mind and their blatant disregard for the holiness of God, who is 
the just ruler of all the earth, has set them on a crash course with his wrath. My conviction from God was singular, but inescapable. I had to show them the mirror of my life and let them know that the path we once walked together would have landed us both face to face with the judgment of a righteous and holy God at the end of our lives. The grace and mercy of God had yanked me away from an eternity in hell. In my eyes, it was a matter of life and death that the friends who were once my partners in hell raising see their lives reflected in mine and recognize their own need for the grace and mercy of God. To put it plainly, I did not want my friends to go to hell, especially not on my account. They needed salvation as desperately as I did. Telling the truth about our joint past was my attempt to reach them and others with the gospel by giving them a compelling story. I knew my motives were God-given. To have them deeply misunderstood broke me down deeper than almost anything else had ever done. Months went by as I cried, prayed, and cried some more. Eventually, I had an epiphany. In the fallout from these friendships ending, I had to distance myself from the women I once cherished because I recognized that I had work to do. My volatile emotions regarding our expired friendship was too big of a distraction from what I was supposed to be learning as a newlywed. I was a new wife. I was still learning what it meant to build a home and a marriage that honored God. By God's grace, the story I abandoned came back into play. The Lord reassured me, despite some foolishness on my own part, by entrusting the wrong people with my vision, a story I had been writing and refining for almost five years. The overarching story in my heart was indeed the one the Lord wanted me to tell. I perfected the manuscript and released it as the Lord led me. This was an assignment that would step on toes, but I could not abandon it just because I was afraid of the backlash. Those who had the strongest negative reactions to my story were the people I had been attempting to bring with me on my new journey into marriage. If we were going to bump heads about the things the Lord was asking me to do, obviously we were incompatible for community. I was surrounded by people who had completely different passions than my own unquenchable love for writing. They could not relate to the burning in my heart to get my book into print. They had no framework for it. Up until then, the only people we knew as published authors were either academics with PhDs or pastors. No one in our community had done what I was attempting to do. Tell a story that was true to life and unapologetic about the compromises in the lives of Christians. No one in my life was currently equipped to help me. And my zeal to publish my book to them looked more like the foolishness of a woman who was eager to stir up gossip and rancor. On top of those differences, I finally realized that I could not force myself on others just because I desired friendship. These women were growing in Christ just as I was growing and learning. If wisdom on their part and keeping their own peace with God required that they step back or completely away from relationship with me, who was I to begrudge them that move? 
that last revelation was what ultimately healed my heart. I was not being rejected because I was unworthy of friendship or love. God, in his wisdom, was redirecting both the other women and me so that we can all fulfill his purposes for our individual lives. There was no need for us to become stumbling blocks to one another in the name of friendship. Having those friendships fall apart taught me a lesson I will never forget. Furthermore, I had known for years that some of these women did not like me. I had been hoping to win them over with my authenticity. It took me years to finally like myself, so I had no high expectations for anyone else to accept me. I knew better than to chase after anyone who was hell-bent on punishing me for a past that God has already redeemed. Not unless God specifically commands me to seek reconciliation, that is. But seeking these friendships without the Lord's leading was a wonderful way to break my own heart. I was attempting to cultivate relationship, sisterhood, and friendship with women who did not see me or value me. They tolerated me for the sake of the one good friend we all had in common. Once that friendship fell apart, their true colors were revealed. I have never felt as hope openly hated as I did amid the breakdown of these friendships. And that open animosity almost did me in. But God strengthened me. Yes, he helped me. If you live by their praise, you will die by their criticism, the saying goes. I lived this out starting in 2012 until just recently. I was doing everything in my power to be liked by women who were not for me. Yet I continued to convince myself that we were friends or we could be if only I tried harder. To say I was bullheaded would be putting it mildly. I was determined to make these ones my friends because we had so many friends in common. We had to be friends, right? I realize now that I equated being accepted by women of God as equal to being accepted by God. I trusted the gift of God in their lives. I believe they have the Holy Spirit. If they rejected me, then it must mean that God was rejecting me as well. And I desperately wanted to be acceptable to God, especially considering my past rebellion. When I was finally willing to take stock of these friendships, I realized that my expectations for these connections did not match what almost a decade of interactions had already proven. These were not my friends. Church members, yes. Sisters in Christ, absolutely. Confidants, who could be trusted to bear my burdens. Not even a little bit. Ours was a quote, friendship born out of convenience, not covenant. The women whom God intended to labor with me as I gave birth to his vision for my life would come later. In my desperation for genuine sisterhood, I had given away my trust to women who were not equipped to journey with me. My acquaintances have shown me in every possible way that we were casual associates and nothing more. Yet, once again, because I did not have boundaries of my own, I failed to recognize the boundaries of others. 
I was breaking my own heart, chasing after people who did not want me. The rejection of these women plagued me for years. To be honest, in some ways, I am still working through it. The most significant effect of our exchange was that it made me question everything I shared or wrote. Was I being too transparent? Who was my writing going to offend if I made it public? Would someone misunderstand my intentions and vilify me for my thoughts? I considered leaving public writing behind for good, comforting myself by keeping my thoughts locked up behind password-protected blogs and private publications that were only shared with trusted loved ones. Thanks to the reassurance of the Lord, I began writing to share with others again. I found my sweet spot between transparently sharing what the Lord has done in my life and applying wisdom so that I do not suffer loss. All my truths are not for everyone. There are some raw and transparent experiences that the Lord has led me to share with a room full of women or via text messages with my sisters that will never make their way online or into a book, unless the Lord says otherwise. The trauma of broken friendship and being misunderstood was much of my own doing because I did not grasp the principle of not casting my pearls before swine or giving what is holy to the dogs. What I shared as publicly available information would have served me better in private conversations. The same open book policy that allows me to build friendship and minister to others can be a liability when presented to those who are spiritually incompatible with me. People who either lack relationship with God or who lack depth in their ability and willingness to show grace to women like me with sordid stories can and will use a story like mine as father for gossip rather than as a testimony of the greatness of God. I have learned to stop sharing these deeply vulnerable aspects of my womanhood with those who do not have the grace to journey with me. A story like mine in the hands of those who lack the character of God will be used as a weapon wielded by Satan to discourage and disparage me. I thank God for his mercy in sparing my life despite the fiery darts of the enemy during this time. Discouragement and heartbreak of that magnitude had me so broken that the enemy had a real shot at taking my life or my sanity. The grace and mercy of God would not allow it. Over the years, I have found my own healing in these friendships that once went awry. Although I now recognize that these women had no place in my life as my confidants, there is still an awkwardness in my own heart when it comes to anything beyond casual friendliness. We do well in our community with one another. There is no resentment on my part. And in a place of intimate sisterhood is respect and the love of Christ, a love that our Savior commands for us to have for one another in the church. And for me, it's enough. Currently, I have my own group of amazing friends who have become sisters, but it took years to find them. It took admitting my own weaknesses and actively working on them. It took being vulnerable enough to be held accountable by others. It took believing the best about people at first impression 
instead of letting my trauma lie to me that no one was trustworthy. It took continuing to work on myself, mind, body, and spirit to be able to recognize and be recognized by women who were also doing the same. It also took debunking the lie that I would not be worthy of friendship until I was perfect. My friends are very aware of my imperfections, but they believe God's ability to perfect my weaknesses by his grace and through their loving friendship. It has been life-changing to live in such a sisterhood. Nine years ago, I did not even know such a community could ever exist for me. Today, I am grateful to know that I have women I can call, text, and message in good times and in bad, and they will drop everything to either rejoice with me or to pray me through the valleys. The friendships that God himself has forged for me have been instrumental not only in my healing from broken sisterhood, but in my ability to embrace my identity. I do not harbor the same self-hatred that sprang up when I lost my first circle of sisters. When the breakdown and breakup happened, I thought I was destined to be one of those women who only had friends in her phone and online. Most of the women who knew me deeply did not live locally. I figured I would never have another circle like the one I lost. But God has created a family of sisters for me in unexpected places. First, through Wives in Waiting, and the women who lead with me in ministry there. And second, through genuine connections made online that have transformed into sisterhood in real life. One by one, my friends have found me and I have found them. What binds us together is always foremost our love for Jesus. After that, we find that we have similar convictions on how to live out our lives to the glory of our Heavenly Father. And beyond that, we have mutual interest and also genuinely like and enjoy one another's company. My sisters are not people who will allow me to live below God's standards. They are not here to support, quote, unconditionally, because if I ever lose my mind and decide to do something that jeopardizes my marriage or my home or my walk with the Lord, they are there to pull me back from the brink of insanity. Our love for each other has conditions. And that condition is that I love you enough to tell you the truth and hold you to God's word, even if you hate me for it. We tell each other hard truths. We confront one another's disobedience to God. We challenge each other's thinking when it does not line up with the Bible. But we love each other extravagantly and we grace each other in a way that I truly believe is a mirror of God's heart for his children. When I meet women now and desire friendship with them, a standard has been set and I cannot go back to fake sisterhood. If a prospective friend cannot hold me to God's truth, grace me in my weaknesses and help me to fulfill the higher calling of the gospel, then I do not put them in the same category as my covenant friends. I define our relationship very clearly for myself so I can establish boundaries that will preserve us. If I know you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, I'm not calling you to pray for me. That is a set boundary. If I know that you have a hard time keeping sensitive news to yourself, I'm not calling you to pour out my bleeding heart. That is also a set boundary.
my relationships operate in a harmony that could only be the work of God. What I cherish most about my friendships as a married woman is that my sisters treat my husband and I as a unit. Even if they only know him because of their friendship to me, once we were married, he immediately became their brother. They support us as a couple and they champion our marriage as if it is their own. They do not speak ill of him to me or me to him, and they pray for us in any challenges that we face. I do not have any friends that pose a threat to my marriage, and I wholeheartedly reject the notion that your single friends cannot be trusted around your husband. My friends operate with integrity, and that makes it easy to trust their character. We operate by boundaries that keep us respectful of one another, but we let our guards down in such a way that we are invited into the dark and broken places of each other's lives. We are often each other's first line of defense against the wiles of the enemy. I have lost count of how many times my friends have prayed me out of a spiritual valley or attack. There is something special that happens when women grow in community with each other. It is the unspoken understanding behind women's group, mom groups, women-only Bible studies, and every attempt we make to find our tribe. We all want to belong and be assured that we are fully known and fully loved. Having that community is life-changing and it does so much to heal the broken places of our lives, from our view of ourselves to our perception of others. Having a strong, healthy village surrounding us gives us a glimpse into how much God loves us. Without such a village, it can feel as if God is isolating us because we have done something to disqualify ourselves from such a necessary community. Broken friendship and sisterhood are often just as traumatizing as a broken marriage, especially if the friendship was an emotionally intimate one. This concludes part one of chapter six, Friend Zoned. This has been the Memoirs of a Nigerian in Christ podcast. We will see you next time for our next episode where we will pick up on part two of chapter six. Have a wonderful day and thank you for tuning in.